All right, good morning. I'm Nick Stolnos. I invite you to turn in your Bible or in your electronic device to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. 1 Thessalonians 1. I'll get there too. As you're turning there, let me remind you of what we heard last week. Steve opened up a series uh, from 1 Thessalonians, which is all about being blameless at the coming of Christ. Christ is coming back. We don't know exactly when that's going to be, but Paul is comforting, encouraging, advising this dear church, this church that is very dear to him, how to be ready and how to live for Christ uh, until he returns. So in this passage, this is a grateful prayer to God for the Thessalonians. Paul's writing to them, Paul and his friends are writing to them, but it's a prayer at the same time. Last week, Steve reminded us that the gospel always comes with power and always with opposition. The Lord had formed a body of believers in a short time, only three weeks. Paul and his companions were there, and it says, As Paul went in, as was his custom, on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded. So in this very short time, three weeks, so on the Sabbath, Paul and his companions were there. Paul was preaching, and throughout the week, we'll see that they were working, but then they were also witnessing. And they were driven out by those who didn't like Paul and his message. So they had to leave prematurely. But we also learned last week that the gospel is not just words. Paul appealed to the power of the Spirit and deep conviction. Again, the gospel is not, they're not magic words, but they're powerful words because they're God's words. And God, by his Spirit, works through the gospel to change our hearts, to make us new. And finally, Paul is commending them for their faith and their testimony. He looks at what God has done in them and he is amazed. He is amazed that in just three weeks, God has brought this church together, that this church is growing, that this church is healthy. So this grateful prayer section is the basis for what he will do for the rest of the letter. He's thankful for them, but he wants to continue to give them uh, words of advice, encouragement, how to follow Christ in a difficult time. So please look with me at 1 Thessalonians 1. Uh, starting in verse 5, the second half of verse 5. This is God's word. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, But your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Please join with me in prayer. Lord, this is your word for us today. 
Holy Spirit, you have come and, and you make it personal, that we might know you, that you might test our hearts and our minds, and that we would truly be committed to you, that you be at work in us and in our community and in our world. Lord, as your word is opened up not only here but all throughout this community, Lord, in our country and throughout the world, your word is being proclaimed. It is the power of God unto salvation, the gospel that we believe. So we join with them in sitting under your word and listening and desiring to obey and be changed. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So have we not felt the need for change this week? When we watch the news, we see uh, gun violence, wars, rumors of wars, problems with immigration, budgets. It's clear that we all need a change, right? Worldwide, personally, we all need a change. And this is what I want to talk about today, uh, what happens when we are changed, when the gospel changes you. So the first question I want to consider, that I want us to consider this morning is, what kind of change do we need? What kind of change do we need? Look at verse 9 with me. Paul says, For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. First of all, the Thessalonians needed to change who they worshipped. And I would say that we, need, we all need to change who we worship too. There needs to be a change who we worship, who we're committed to. First point I want to bring is that everyone is a worshiper. It doesn't matter if you're a Christian, if you're not a Christian, whatever religion, or if you consider yourself a part of this growing group called the nuns. Not the nuns, N-U-N, but the N-O-N-E's. Uh, nuns, people who claim no religious affiliation. Everyone is a worshiper. The Thessalonians were worshipers before they became Christians. They worshiped and served idols. This is the way that Paul described it in Romans chapter 1. He says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Sinful humanity says that I want to worship creation instead of the creator. God made us in his image, and because of sin, because of our rebellion, because Adam and Eve chose not to follow God or trust God for happiness and holiness forever. Uh, they became foolish, is what Paul said. They began to worship the creation instead of the creator. They wanted their best life now apart from the God who made them, apart from any relationship with him. We can choose to reject God. We can choose to turn away from him, but we can't get away from this impulse to worship. We worship what we love. Think of it this way. If you worship your own reputation and someone may try to tarnish that reputation, what are you tempted to do? 
Well, you're tempted to bring down wrath on that person who is trying to hurt your reputation. Um, if you love, again, anything, you're looking to that thing to bring you ultimate peace and happiness. We're all worshipers. Idols are a substitute for the one true God. As Josh reminded us in the catechism question, the first commandment, uh, you shall have no other gods before me, and the second, you shall not bow down and make an idol and worship it. One commentator says these two image or these two adjectives, the living and true God, they highlight the contrast between God and the idols from which the Thessalonians have turned. They previously worshipped idols, dead gods who could do nothing. But now they serve the one and only God who is living and true. Again, 23% of Americans don't claim any, they claim no religious affiliation. And it sounds like that number is growing. Now, most of us here probably, and and probably many in our community, aren't bowing down to actual statues. Uh, but uh, R.C. Sproul, the late R.C. Sproul, gives this example of how we've become sophisticated in our idolatry. This is the way he says it usually works. We take what we like about God, attributes like his love and his grace, and reject what we don't like, things like his sovereignty and his wrath. Again, we usually, we're not bowing down to actual statues. It's ideas in our minds of who we think God is. And Sproul says, if you lose the true God, you're not, you're not worshiping the true God. If you're, taking, if you're picking and choosing what attributes you like about God, which ones you don't like, uh, if you reject certain things about him, you've rejected God. You've rejected who he is. So becoming a Christian changes who you worship. It's a fundamental change that must take place in all of us. We, we begin this life naturally worshiping and serving the creation And we must be moved, we must be changed to worship and serve the creator. So my question for you, my question uh, for all of us, have you changed who you worship? Have you experienced this kind of change? And maybe a more helpful question is, how can you know if you've been changed? How can you know if you've been changed into a worshiper of God when before you were a worshiper of idols? Well, Look at what happened to the Thessalonians. You, if you have been changed, your life begins to look like their lives. How they became witnesses, how they were able to endure suffering with joy. When you worship God, even in spite of, of difficulty and of suffering, it's an indication that God has changed you, that you worship God uh, and not idols. So we need a major change in who we worship So how are we changed? This is the second question. How are we changed? We receive the gospel. Look at verse 5 with me. Verses 5 and verse 6. Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power, and in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction, you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you receive the word in much affliction with joy in the Holy Spirit. How were the Thessalonians changed? How were they changed from people who worshipped idols to become people who worshipped God? Again, it's, in, it's amazing that in three weeks, 
God had changed these people. He had radically oriented who they were to who they are now, to believers in God, to worshipers of God. And it happened through the gospel. What is the gospel? Simply put, the gospel is the message of what Jesus did to save sinners. It can be described in many ways, but let's focus on the gospel in this passage. Verse 6 describes his suffering. Again, the Thessalonians suffered when they believed the gospel, but Paul reminds them this is what happened to Jesus also. Jesus suffered and died on the cross, but even before that, throughout his whole life, he suffered through living in a sinful world. People rejected him, people misunderstood him, even though Jesus was a perfect communicator. People misunderstood him, and that hurts when people don't understand what you're trying to tell them, especially when you love them with an unconditional love, and you're the creator of the universe. Jesus suffered and died on the cross. But the gospel is also that he rose from the dead. Verse 10 speaks about what we do as we live the Christian life. It says, And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Jesus died, and then three days later he rose from the dead. This is the good news of what God came to do for sinners. God the Father loved us so much that he sent his only son so that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. He, he's coming back. He rescues us from the wrath to come. Wrath being one of those attributes that modern people don't like to think about because it, it sounds mean and it sounds harsh. But again, we've got to accept what God says about himself. And without God's wrath, the gospel would be missing something too. Because God's wrath was coming upon us. But Jesus says, I will take it. I will take the wrath that's coming upon you, and I will take it upon me. So if you lose God's wrath, you lose a very critical part of the gospel. God's saving work in them began with the gospel, with the Thessalonians. Before Paul came, they served idols. Now they worship God, and this is true of us when we receive the gospel. What does it mean to receive the gospel? They laid down their idols and they trusted in Jesus. They received him by faith as the only one who could rescue them, to forgive them, and to restore them to a right relationship with God and with others. Think of the mem- one of the membership vows when you become a member of this church. Vow number two is, do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God and Savior of sinners? And do you receive and rest upon him alone for salvation as he is offered in the gospel? When you're a Christian, this is what you say about yourself. You say that you are in complete and utter need of Jesus Christ for salvation. You can't save yourself. You are helpless to make yourself right before God, and you need Jesus completely. You need the gospel. We're thinking about change this morning, change, the change that we need before God. Think of all the people who are changed when they receive the gospel. Think about Paul himself. Earlier in the Bible, he describes himself as a violent persecutor of the church. Insolent, ignorant, resisting God. But when Jesus confronted him, when he heard the gospel, it changed him. He went from being a persecutor of the church to a preacher of the gospel in the church, preaching the message of salvation. Think of the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts 8. 
he was returning from Jerusalem. He had been um, worshiping but not really understanding what was going on. And it just so happened that he was reading Isaiah 53 as he was riding in his chariot. And Philip was nearby, and Philip asks him, Do you understand what you're reading? And he says, How could I unless someone explain it to me? And it says right there, Philip explained the gospel to him of the suffering servant. He had been reading that right then and there, but he, didn't, he had not understood the gospel. He had not understood that Jesus was the one who came and fulfilled that prophecy. Think of Lydia in Acts 16. It says, The Lord opened her heart to believe the message. The gospel changes people. It gets your attention when you believe it. The same gospel goes out. Some people listen, some don't. But the gospel is powerful and it changes people. Think of others. Think of Augustine or Luther or John Newton or John Wesley and everyone here who has believed the gospel, who has been changed by God. It comes through the gospel. One of my favorite verses, 2 Corinthians 3. Uh, we with unveiled faces, when we behold the glory of the Lord, we're transformed, we're changed from one degree of glory to another. God changes us through the gospel. When we become a Christian, you know, when we believe in him for the first time, but we continue to come to him, we continue to be changed through the gospel as we confront sin in our own lives, as we see the need for growth, as we see the need for change, it comes through the gospel. It comes through believing that God is the one who saves, God is the one who works in you, and God ultimately is the one who's going to rescue us and save us from our days of frustration, even in our best efforts uh, to live perfectly. We, we can't in this life, but yet God is working in us. So when we are changed by the power of the gospel, what is the impact in us and through us? Again, the gospel must change us. It must make an impact. That's how we know that it's working. So third question, what is the impact when we are changed? Will we become one with God's mission? One of the things that really excited Paul and his companions when he thought about the Thessalonians was that they were doing virtually the same things they were doing. Paul and his companions were going from city to city preaching the gospel, offering the hope of salvation. And when Paul looked at the Thessalonians and heard about what had happened in them, how God had sustained their faith and what they were doing, Paul realized that they were becoming one with God's mission. Paul and his companions were on mission, and it was obvious that the Thessalonians were too. How did he know that? Let me go through these quickly. They endured suffering with joy. Again, look at verse 6. Paul says, You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Again, suffering, we usually don't put suffering and joy together. But God says as Christians, we can endure suffering with joy. Why? Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 5. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Suffering itself doesn't feel good, but when you remember and when you realize that you are identified with Christ, that he suffered for doing good, for being righteous, 
And when we suffer for righteousness' sake and we remember that, when we remember this promise, we have joy because we're identified with Christ. He says, rejoice and be glad because you have a great reward. Even if the world doesn't recognize you now, Jesus recognizes you. Earlier in Acts chapter 5, this is about the apostles' suffering. Again, Paul says here that you became imitators of us. This is something that Paul and his companions had already experienced. Acts 5 verses 40 through 42 says, And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. Again, they were joyful. They saw beyond the current situation. They saw beyond what they could see only in this world. Again, we, we avoid suffering at all costs. And, you know, we should avoid suffering and thank God for different ways that we are able to minimize our suffering. But when it comes down to it, to suffer for Christ, to stand up for him, even in the face of opposition, when we remember that there is a life after this life and that Jesus is even with us now, we can endure that suffering with joy. We know something that the world doesn't know. We experience something that the world doesn't experience because they're only looking to this world for joy and happiness. They know that their time is short and they're trying to get as much as they can. As Christians, and I would say on our best days, we're believing that there is a reward after this life, that there is joy after this life, that uh, in a world that is not safe in different ways, when we're with God in heaven, we'll be perfectly safe. And Jesus was persecuted too. Listen to Hebrews 12 too. The author says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Again, the joy that Jesus felt, even in the most, uh, the greatest experience of suffering anyone has ever experienced, to know that he was pleasing God, to know that he was bringing us to himself, the fact that he could have us with him forever, uh, wretched sinners that we are. Um, he came to die for us, and he had joy even in the suffering. This is what Paul saw in the Thessalonians, and this is what's true of us when we have been changed by the gospel. We can have joy even in the midst of suffering. Next, they became an example to other Christians. Look at verse 7 with me. It says, So you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Again, Paul was worried if their faith had even survived. And he sent word, and Timothy came back and told them how they were doing. And not only were they surviving, they were an example. They were living out their faith willingly because they wanted to, because they loved God. They weren't setting out to be great. They were simply being faithful. God was working, and the Thessalonians were setting an example of the Christian life for everyone around. They also spread the gospel effectively. Look at verse 8. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded out, sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we don't need to say anything. One commentator puts it this way. The term translated rang out appears only here in the New Testament, 
but in other literature of the era, it could be used to describe a clap of thunder, the loud cry of a multitude, or even a rumor that runs everywhere. Or as Chrysostom suggests, every place near is filled with the sound of a loud trumpet. The proclamation from Thessalonica was set at high volume and went with great force over a large area. Again, by all accounts, these are simple, humble, faithful Christians that were doing what they were supposed to do. They were worshiping God and telling others about him, and the word went out. Very likely, they were sending out missionaries, sending people to other places. The Thessalonians witnessed to their friends and to their neighbors, and the, the witness was powerful. Uh, when it says that they don't need to say anything about it, um, Obviously, Paul is speaking about it right there. He's saying something about it. But what he means is they don't need to spread the gospel to those places because the Thessalonians have already spread it. Paul and his companions can focus on other places where people have never heard because these Thessalonians were faithful, that the gospel changed them and impacted them in such a way that the gospel was going out from them. They were faithful missionaries. They were changed by the message and shared it accurately with others. What else happened in them? What was the impact? Well, they now live to serve God. Again, a change in who we worship is a change in who we live for. They used to worship idols. They used to serve dead idols that couldn't help them. And then they met God through the gospel, and now they serve him. Uh, last thing that they, that they experienced, the impact, is that they lived each day anticipating Christ's return. Look at verse 10. <clears throat> And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Again, waiting for Jesus is a, is a posture of life. It's an attitude for Christians that we know that Jesus is coming someday. We don't know when it is, but he's coming. It impacts our pursuit of holiness. It impacts our motivation to witness to non-Christians. Uh, Martin Luther famously said, there are two days on my calendar, today and the last day. That's all we have, right? We know that Jesus is coming one day, we don't know when that is, and we know that we have this day. Shouldn't that impact the way that we live? If we know that Jesus is coming back, if we know that he's forgiven us, if we know that he's committed to us, if we know that he has placed us in a community of people that love him imperfectly, but desiring to please him, desiring to witness to our community, uh, desiring to help one another follow Christ faithfully. Again, it impacts what we're ultimately looking forward to, which is Jesus. The one they received at first is the one they still wanted today. Jesus wasn't their self-help help life coach who was helping them to get something else. Jesus was the one that they wanted, and he's the one who they live for. Again, everybody wants change, but not everybody wants God, and not everybody wants the gospel. Not everybody wants to come to God on his terms, but God has come in grace and mercy, extending forgiveness and salvation for all who will come to him, who will turn from their sins and believe the gospel. So as we conclude, Jesus is not your self-improvement plan. He does make change, but he, he's infinitely greater than any self-improvement plan. You need a change, I need a change, and God brings it through the gospel. 
So again, we're, we, we must have a change of who we worship. We're changed when we receive the gospel, not only one time, but ongoing. And God makes an impact in us and through us when the gospel changes us. Again, there's no perfect church. And Thessalonica was a, was a, a city with a, a wonderful church. They were a shining example. We see different examples of the New Testament of different churches that have their different issues. Here, God worked powerfully through the gospel and was changing them and was making an impact through them. Um, so do you want to be changed for the glory of God? Receive the gospel. Not just one time, every time, every day. Again, we're transformed by the renewing of our minds, as it says in Romans 12. And we need to change. Our neighbors, our neighbors need to change. My encouragement to you is get the gospel in you and then get the gospel out. Let's pray. Lord, you are good and your word is powerful, more powerful than, than I can say or do. It's obvious that we all need a change. Um, we can't change ourselves, but you can change us. Lord, we were made for your glory to, to live for you and love you and to love other people. And that will only happen uh, as we believe. And fully and finally when we're in your presence, where there will be no more sin or suffering. Lord, encourage us this week as we seek to live for you. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.